This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. By the way, my name's Dave Lindruth, and I'm subbing for Chuck today, who is out in New Mexico at a conference. Today we are working on slowing down. It's the third of a series, and it's a series that's very dear to my heart. Hopefully we can make some progress in slowing down. Just raise your hand for a second. Do you struggle with slowing down in your life today? I'm sure you do. Uh, It's just... Our lives are crazy, aren't they? So what can we do this summer, not just to address some of the physical aspects of that, but maybe take on some of the spiritual things? Because, you know, there are things in life we cannot control, but there are some things we can. So let's start it off with a question, all right? And I'm going to invite you to text me your answer but you can also take a minute and talk to somebody in your row or somebody who's nearby, introduce yourself, and just take a little bit of time to talk about what prevents you from experiencing peace in your world as you know it today. What are some of those things that stand in the way? What are some of the things that just remove, make that sense of peace and contentment evaporate? What gets in the way of you experiencing that spiritual quality of life. Go ahead. Listen to some of these things. Uh, Things that interfere with my sense of peace, thinking I'm in charge of the outcome. How about that? Each one of these, by the way, is a sermon in itself. Confrontation, worrying about disappointing people. Yeah, worry, lots of worry. My crazy head thoughts. How about that? Striving to get somewhere, anywhere. And then as soon as you get there, you're striving to get to the next place, right? Maintaining our belongings. Someone to share my life with. Feeling as though I am responsible for taking care of everyone else. How about that one? Woo! Ouch! Jobs, kids, doing too much. These, this is my list too. It's all, it's all there. I see it every day. And part of it is external factors in our world, right? And this has been something that Chuck has come back to several times during this series. But our world is more complicated than it used to be. Just things like uh, cell phones. I understand that there is more computer power in this machine then was in the Apollo that took the astronauts to the moon. That's an amazing feat of engineering. And yet, do I really want an iWatch? Do I really want that technology there buzzing every time somebody messages me that I can see the latest headlines so that I am almost literally wired into the Internet? Is that going to create peace in my life? Is that really, really what I need? Let's look at this next slide. What is this? Does anybody know? Yeah, you look at it, you start seeing, well, it's not just a Nintendo controller. It's a Formula One steering wheel. And actually, Chuck found that slide for us. And it's such a great example of how our lives just seem to get more 
and more complicated. So there's a lot coming in from our external world that just interferes and seemingly takes away every last second of time. Oh, I have to learn this new thing. I have to get this technology down so that I can compete or I can be the breadwinner or, or whatever. On and on and on it goes. I think that the, the New Church Lives Bands little video they put up was a great reference to that. We have another video clip coming up that will also reference that. But I want to say that there's also internal factors that kind of lead us away from peace and simplicity into complexity, stress, and an environment that makes it more and more difficult for us to function spiritually. Thomas Merton was a, uh, he, he really was a Trappist monk. And he lived in the, uh, well, mid to later half of our last century in the 90s, uh, 1990s. Uh, and he wrote some interesting things. Uh, back in the, actually, I think he passed away in maybe the early 80s when I think about it. But check this quote out from him where he says, there is a pervasive form of modern violence. Think 70s here. Today, it's so much worse. But there's a pervasive form of modern violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs. Activism and overwork. Activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form, of its innate violence. He says it's violence. And and really it's violence because it's so destructive, I think, to the human psyche. What are we doing? And so there's all these external factors out there that kind of lead us into this belief that we are somehow going to be happy by complifying our life, by making it more complex, by adding more and more and more activities, adding more things, adding more goals into our life, thinking that that is going to somehow create a sense of happiness in our lives. Of course it doesn't do that, but there are internal factors as well that perhaps are cultivated by the culture of the day, but there's just something in us that wants to get ahead. And I think that we as people who are growing spiritually need to question that. And we need to really take a good hard look at that. And I think that that leads us into this uh, really explanation that Thomas Merton is talking about. And so the question is when our lives are fully complicated... My question for you is, what are we sacrificing? What are we sacrificing? Are we sacrificing the quality of a family life where we know and love our children and those who are connected to us through our family ties, that we have time with them, that we know actually where they are not just in their external job cycle or school cycle or what their challenges are with their homework assignments, but where they are spiritually and what they're really struggling with? Or are we sacrificing that because simply we're too busy? Think about all kinds of relational challenges involved in that. But ultimately, are we sacrificing the life of love, which 
really is true happiness? Are we sacrificing that? Are we so busy with our external lives? Are we so busy with our drive to success that we have somehow sacrificed space to experience love and connection with other people? That's a pretty serious thing to think about. I, I, maybe it's too deep for uh, a guest preacher, and if so, just remember, Chuck will be back next week. It'll all be fine. I, I want to start with just a personal confession. When I went into the work of the ministry, I had this ethic, and, and it, I think it was a cultural ethic, but basically the ethic was work yourself to death. And if you die from a heart attack or a stress-related illness because you are so frantically scrambling to get ready to accomplish the next and the next and the next thing, at your service, we will honor you for your death. We will honor you. And in my profession now, I've been in this career for over 25 years, and I've done a lot of funerals. And I've done several stress-related death-type funerals, more than I would like to remember. And you get together with the family, and you get together with the co-workers, and you start to hear a little bit again of this cultural thing, that that, that was something that's worthy of honor. And I think, again, when we're talking about the Sabbath, we need to check into that. So, so personally, I feel like, yeah, I am somebody who is as guilty of this as everybody else. And I think that people are born with great talent and there's an opportunity created by those talents for people to reach out and serve in different ways. And that service is a connection with God. So there's tremendous value in that. And that service sometimes does take time and energy. And yet that energy and time needs to be managed And it needs to be done in a way that cultivates that deeper sense of peace. Can we work on that? Is that an interesting thing? So there's an answer here. God put up an answer right at the beginning of the Bible. And you would think that God knew what was coming in the 21st century. Or was he saying, hmm... This problem is going to be something that's just tied in with being a human while you're walking on this earth. Maybe you can decide that. But God, right in the very beginning, created a space. He created a a rest. And here's the Levitical piece where he says, six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. It's a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Wonderful. I was amazed when I was going through and reading through all the biblical references to the Sabbath, because there's a ton of them, especially in the Old Testament. But in those biblical references, how often... This day of rest as a law is tied in with, oh, and by the way, if you break the Sabbath, you shall be punished by death. And it goes on, by death, 
by death again and again and again, and it's repeated throughout. And I wonder, I'm not a believer of putting people to death because they work on Sunday or on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, which was, um, you know, Jewish, it was from sun, sundown, you know, it was that day before. I'm, I'm just not an advocate of that. I'm not even an advocate of considering it an absolute spiritual law that you absolutely have to be in church, though I think it's important. I think what's being conveyed by that Old Testament stuff is when you do not make sacred space in your life, when you leave no room in your life for something spiritual, for God to be present, then something in you does indeed die. And it's not about punishment. It's just if there's no room for it, it doesn't happen. And I, I think that that's going back to that violence that we were talking about, that Thomas Merton was talking about earlier. So there's, there's a story that I really love. It's a story also from the Old Testament. It's a story of Elijah and this story from Elijah, I think, refers to some of the different things that uh, come up in our lives, that busyness, and, and how we sometimes misinterpret that busyness, thinking that it's going to bring us peace, and yet it doesn't. So here we have a slide. That's not the slide. Hmm, I wonder what happened to it. Um, <clears throat> Okay. Do you have that Elijah slide up there or did it get lost? Let's just leave it there for a minute. Elijah is standing on a mountain. It's, It's the mountain where the Ten Commandments were given. So it's this historic center of the universe for the Israelitish nation. And he's standing there and there's this incredible storm that happens. A, a ferocious, just unbelievable wind comes. It's so strong, it's ripping apart the rocks from the mountain. And there he's standing, just, just, just almost being blown away. You can imagine it's the most uh, terrifying thing, but there's rocks flying, everything going on. And, and so there's this wind, and it says, well, well, God is not in the wind. And what do you think that wind symbolizes in your life? You know, being carried away by some, some fantastic plan that you have, ready to, you're ready to change the world. It's, it's ready to change, you know, the place where you're standing by ripping away the rocks. But, but, you know, there's some emotional thing that's being symbolized by that. But God's not there, right? Don't go there. Don't follow that because God's not there. And then the next thing that happens is, the, the earth starts to shake and there's this tremendous earthquake. And, and while the earth is shaking, again, sort of a change thing. You can think about what's that symbolize in our own life, some kind of tremendous upheaval. Maybe it's, it's the landscape of our life is not what we expected. Or we are trying maybe even to change it ourselves. And yet, God is not in the earthquake and after the earthquake, there's a fire. And 
a tremendous fire. You can imagine being out in the desert when a fire comes ripping up the, the countryside, dry plants just being incinerated, and it's really hot. And this, of course, is a symbol of different passions that flare up, maybe even addictions that come flaring up, cravings that drive us into some action, and when we are in the heat of those cravings, it's easy to think that we're going to have some kind of piece of satisfaction in those cravings, and yet it's the same God is not in the fire. So where is God? There's this quiet, whispering voice, this still, small voice after these three cataclysmic events, and that's God's voice. And you know what he asks? He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? So the Sabbath is about creating space to hear that small voice. And we're encouraged to make that a spiritual practice in our life. And you can think about, well, there, there are benefits to going to church. And the teachings of Swedenborg, the teachings of our church, encourage us to go to church, to create sacred spaces for education, on, on spiritual things, to think about life from a deeper perspective, to just create space to pause and let God's sacredness flow into us. It's about creating an environment where we can be led forward. It's about creating an environment where we can feel a kind of connection with God and with those people around us that we just don't feel when we're going through the daily grind of thing after thing after thing after thing when our lives become about accomplishing the things rather than connecting with the people. This is so important, and it's so easy to just drop off the, you know, the cliff of complete busyness, and all of a sudden we feel like we're more machines than human beings. So, you know, one external way of approaching creating this space is just to simply find time to honor the Sabbath. However you might do that, whether it's here at New Church Live, which I think is a great idea, or whether it's space early in the morning when you get up. Sometimes I feel a lot of Sabbath just in the meditation that I experience when I'm going for a run in the morning. But creating time where we are able to have that sacred space be present in our lives. So I want to skip to the slide, the Viktor Frankl slide. Viktor Frankl is a great hero of mine. And just to give you a little background of this slide, Viktor Frankl grew up in the, the 20s and 30s. He was trained in Austria as a psychiatrist. In the late 30s, he was running a clinic where he was able to help over 10,000 patients that were struggling with suicide. 10,000 people struggling over issues around ending their own lives. That's 
an incredible service that he was involved in. And as a Jew living in Austria, you can imagine the first thing that happens is he's no longer allowed to treat anybody who's non-Jewish. And so he loses his practice, and he, he tries to keep things going for a while. And the war really gets going. Toward the end of the war, he and his family are rounded up as Jews. He is ultimately... Uh, condemned to Auschwitz where he's forced into slave labor and he experiences every member except his sister dying in Auschwitz you know his life is just horrible and and he works with people in the concentration camp trying to help them gain some kind of meaning and value in their lives, even in this most miserable situation. So let's look at this quote from Viktor Frankl, because I think it directly addresses some of the spiritual objectives of trying to create Sabbath space. So he says, in a human being, between stimulus and response, there is a space. So it's between that initial awareness, something's going on, I'm not sure what I need to do. Something is happening, how do I interpret it? There's something going on, I I am experiencing something. And then, what do I need to do? There's a space between the stimulus and the response. That space is our power to choose our response, and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So in that space is the ability to choose, and in that choice lies our growth and our freedom. And I would suggest to you that that space between stimulus and response is really a Sabbath space. It's a place that we should learn is a sacred space, And if we clear space around allowing things to impact us and recognizing that all kinds of things, we can't control what impacts us. We can't control what we see. But between that impact, that stimulus, and our response is a space that we want to create and we want to hold as sacred and we want to invite God's still small voice to come into our being and offer us guidance. Because in that space, something holy and something incredibly valuable can happen. How often do we jump from stimulus to response, stimulus to response, react to our kids, react to whatever, without creating that space where God can come in and steer that response to something truly divine, truly magnificent, even in the small details of our world, even in the most miserable situations where we might find ourselves, we can create that space where God comes in and allows us to do something that has a soul of eternity within it. That is a Sabbath moment. And I would contest or propose, I would propose that all of religion, 
ultimately is about creating that sacred space. And we practice it here in church. So that when we are in need and in the moment, we can remember to create that space there in 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 the you know the sometimes it's just a blink of an eye where we're going from stimulus to response but to create a little bit of space and practice that sabbath decision making process allowing god to come in with his still small voice and lead us to a place that's bigger than ourselves so that i think is ultimately what we're trying to look for when we are thinking about Sabbath, when we're thinking about slowing down, that really we're thinking about creating a new kind of space in our lives so that God can come in and do something magnificent. I love this passage from the Psalms where you have written, seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. Don't seek busyness. Don't seek success. Don't seek goal after goal after goal. Seek peace and pursue that. And what if we, as a whole community, were constantly together pursuing peace? That we were pursuing that space where God could come in and not just impact like my own life, but it's impacting your life. And we're all working together to try to create our own intentional and our each other's intentional spaces where God comes in and offers this unique message of leadership that's tailored exactly to each of our infinitely varied ways of being so that we hear that voice in different ways and yet together we hear this harmony that exceeds all comprehension. It's something so, so incredibly beautiful. I want to end with just a passage uh, from the writings of Swedenborg that I think it it just describes what what I'm really talking about, where we're trying to go here with this. It talks about God's face and seeing God's face. And if you read through the entire history of the Old Testament, you see that, well, God's face doesn't show up very much in the stories. And there are times where people are shielding their faces or they they can't see God. Um, And it's like it's not quite there. And that, I think, is a challenge for our lives. Part of what I think about the Sabbath space is it's a space where we experience connection with God and we quote-unquote, see his face. At least see it in the context as described in this passage. The passage says, Since the Lord's face is mercy, peace, and everything good, it is clear that he never looks to anyone except with mercy, and he never turns his face from any human being, never. God's face is mercy, peace, and everything good. And when you clear that space for him in those moments between experiencing something and acting, you create a little space for him to come in. He comes in, 
with mercy. He comes in with peace. He comes in with everything good. And as we look to him for that still small voice, he's going to take us to a place of beauty and where we can share that beauty in the situation and in in the environment where we are, even if the conditions are very difficult. So that's my message for you, that going out this week as a Monday morning church, take a little bit of time. Create that Sabbath space as you're reacting, if you can. I know, I'll, I'll forget it too. But create a little bit of Sabbath space so God can come in with this still small voice and take us in a place where we are articulating his blessings and his peace. So let us close with some prayer time. I'll say a prayer, and then we will have some silent prayer time. You are free to say the Lord's Prayer, or any prayer as you know it. You're free to pray for those whom you love, who may be struggling or suffering, and you're free to pray for your enemies. Lord God, we turn to you, thinking of you as true mercy, a deep kind of mercy that comes into the core of our lives, bringing an incredible peace, peace that's sometimes lost in the world today. We know that this is eternal life. It's eternal love. It's love that is so deep and so precious and so unending. There is nothing in the world that can cut it off. We pray, Lord, that you come into our lives with that love, with a presence that brings healing and a presence that lifts us up. And Lord, most importantly of all, help us to live a lives that share that love and that peace in ways that can make the difference in our fellow human beings who are struggling. Be with us, O oh Lord, sharing a deep sense of your comfort. Amen. listening you can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv